Welcome into the Locked on Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf reunited. The New York Knicks dropped their final two games. Here's why it doesn't really matter. Um, what does matter, uh, Obi Toppin making a leap off the dribble, RJ Barrett flashing some playmaking chops, and everything that went into an incredible, unexpected season for the New York Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Nation. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. Pricepicks.com, promo code locked on. And we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day, if this is your first time listening, remember to subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's on the audio side or if you're joining us on the video side on YouTube. I flip my desk. It, it is exciting revelation. If you're going to tune in once, now's the time to get a new background. It's my wall. Uh, stuff to be added later. But who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play by play broadcaster's favorite play by play broadcaster, well into lacrosse season. He is Alex Wolf editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. And Alex, um, the Knicks lost their final two games, 113 to 105 to the New Orleans Pelicans. And then a a barn burner uh, this afternoon, 141 to 136 to the Indiana Pacers. Um, Maybe, maybe this is sacrilegious, but, and it would have been nice for the Knicks to get the 49 wins, but I don't really care that they lost these final two games because they were already the fifth seed. What I care about a little bit, um, and, and we'll, we'll get into stuff I care about a lot in just a sec, um, was the number of minutes that Tom Thibodeau put on the Knicks star players um, in that Pelicans game. Uh, Grimes, Quickly, RJ all going over 30. Um, RJ hitting 36. Josh Hart hitting 33. And then against the Pacers, it was Obi going 37. RJ going 37. Quickly going 37. Grimes going 32. Um, Hart going 26. Did you feel like this was an unnecessary risk? Because like, obviously nothing bad happened, right? Like we're all good. We're going to the postseason healthy, but if Emmanuel quickly had turned an ankle, like how quick, how we, we would have come on this podcast and been like fire Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it ultimately, like you said, it sort of comes down to no harm, no foul in the end. I would have greatly appreciated having a final game sort of similar to like the 2012-13 season. We were talking about it right before we started recording of like Earl Barron being a god and like, uh, you know, Amon Shumpert playing like the full 48 and whatever. Like having a game like that, you know, when they have like Jericho Sims on the roster and Deuce McBride and whatever, you know, you could have played guys that are out of the rotation for the whole game and, and just done that, especially because the win or loss did not matter as we saw. Like, otherwise, if the wins or losses mattered, like Jalen Brunson would have been playing. You know what I mean? Like, he was just in maintenance mm-hmm. for the last two games. And, and you know, like, it, you would have seen – there maybe would have even been talk of, like, oh, can Julius Randle suit up for this last game if it mattered? You know what I mean? Uh, so, I, I, I go back and forth, though, because I do appreciate the fact, like, I know we want to talk about Obi Toppin first. And, like, I do appreciate the fact that over these last, like, what, four or five – six games, however many games that, that Randall missed due to the injury that Obi really got a ton of time to get himself set because there's no guarantee that Randall's going to be ready 
for the playoffs. They said mm-hmm. on today's broadcast that he's getting better. He's out of a boot now. That doesn't really mean too much on a sprained ankle. Like you, getting out of boot is step one. Like you got to build a lot of strength beyond that, especially if you had a bad sprain like it looked like he did. So, you know, he might not be ready in a week. So from that perspective, I'm, I'm grateful that Obi was given like a lot of minutes, for example. However, like you said, like certain guys, it's like, like Emmanuel quickly doesn't need, doesn't need 35 minutes to figure himself out right now. Like he's yeah. figured out, like, you could have played Deuce McBride a lot more and let quickly get a little bit more rest. Um, RJ Barrett, maybe you could argue that did need the time because, you know, he's coming back from that illness for a couple days. And I actually think that he made some positive strides too. And I know we're going to talk about him in a second, but I don't know, I guess a little give or take, but ultimately whatever, again, comes down to no harm, no foul. And, and Obi Toppin, as I know, we're both eager to talk about looks really ready for the postseason now. And again for that at least i'm thankful it's just so tibbs right the games literally don't matter mm-hmm. he's he's calling time out with the knicks down by four with seven seconds left against the pacers he's like all right we got to find a way to grind this out and, and i'm with you there were, there were there were guys that had more value than others and um one that certainly had a lot of value i would say was obi Toppin. um an awesome two game stretch from him against the Pelicans. It, it's weird. He only had 10 points and four rebounds against the Pelicans, but you, you if, if, if anyone, maybe I can post him after I had access to my notes, you would, you would think he was like Superman in that game. And then absolutely cooked against the Indiana Pacers, uh, 13 to 23, five for 10 from three, three for three from the line, 34 points, seven rebounds, five assists. But Alex, what, what really mattered to me over these two games from Obi, like, like him bombing away from three is, is nice. Like I, um, and look, obviously, like particularly playing the Pacers twice in three games, like you have a golden opportunity to get hot from distance. And I, I do think this uh, spells out something I referenced the other day, which was Zach Lowe going on Ian Begley's podcast to put back and saying, hey, this guy is probably better than a three, 33% three-point shooter that he's been all year. He basically shoots it under the worst possible conditions, knowing if he misses two in a row, he could get pulled at any given time. And I think we've seen the shooting talent from him, right? Like some crazy step backs. He had one where he just curled around a screen, got it off a dribble handoff, bombed a three from straight away. Like the volume, the accuracy is really, really encouraging, particularly to your point, if he has to play um, significant minutes going forward. But what flashed to me, and like I'll I'll apologize on this. I came on the podcast, um, I think it was whatever, like three, four days ago, the last time I was on, and I said, like, hey, look, Obi's great, like really excited to shooting the ball well, but it, like it doesn't seem like he's ever gonna be a guy who who gets stuff done off the dribble. And if that doesn't develop, like he's never surpassing Julius Randle. So presumably you're just gonna trade him this offseason. Lo and behold, Alex, he 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 goes off. Um, in that aspect of the game, like I, I was writing it down, like every bucket against the Pelicans in particular was a thing of beauty. Like he, he had an in and out dribble on Brandon Ingram, exploded past him um, to draw a foul. Um, another one where he had like between the legs, a hesitation, burst to the rim, got a layup, beat Herb Jones, who's one of the best defenders in basketball, the right to left crossover, straight to the rim. And, and what this emphasized to me was for Obi, like he doesn't need to be like Kyrie Irving or anything close to it out there because he's so explosive. And because he's such an elite finisher, once he gets near the rim, all he has to do is create a little bit of separation and him just doing one move, hesitating and then firing because his start and stop is so good tends to be good enough to get to the basket. And as I just noted, once he's there, he he knows exactly what he's doing. And if he becomes that guy um, again, you don't want to read too much into this given the competition, but if he's that guy against real teams or if he's that guy in the Cavs series, 
it does make you rethink stuff with how the Knicks manage their assets relative to him and Julius down the road. Yeah, and it just sort of makes you think for the umpteenth time, like, if he's going to play that well, couldn't they just find a few minutes per game to have them both play? Like That's they're too both far. That's too far. <laughs> <laughs> they're both clearly so good. Like, why deprive yourself of that? I just don't understand. But yeah. or or one could be a small forward. Like that's yeah. Like if, if they can both really handle like that, you can play a super big lineup theory, especially mm-hmm. if Obi can shoot like this. Yeah, yeah, and I mean he's he's really been like the everything has just been clicking for him and to your point like the last step was sort of like the the off the dribble stuff and Mm. he's he's already been so good with like attacking closeouts or whatever and that's always been his bread and butter but just being able to provide that extra little bit of shake you know to to make something happen against a slightly less scrambling defense is i mean that's like the next level next next level stuff you know what i mean and with this passing ability too like I just, you know, he had five assists in the Pacers game and some of them were kind of like gimmies. Like it was just kind of like, oh, he just kind of sort of like handed it to Grimes and Grimes just made a three point shot. But there were some where it's like he makes these like ultra quick decisions and he's capable of doing that off the dribble too and and off the short roll and and, you know, attacking closeouts and whatever, like very similar to Julius Randle at his best too. So like, yeah, maybe there is a future where we could see both these guys out there and a center, you know, like Mitchell Robinson, Obi top and Julius Randle. I mean, it's not completely unheard of, especially when you have a guy like Julius that has proven to be able to go one V one against like Luka Doncic and guys like that, um, that could potentially be out there, you know, for him to handle on defense. So yeah, maybe it's something we see in the future. I don't know. Uh, but no matter what, going into these playoffs, Julius Randle or not, I feel really good about what the Knicks have going on with Obi. And if Julius Randle is healthy, Tibbs has been known to try some things that he didn't try all regular season in the postseason, like he did two years ago, which for better or worse was finally removing Alfred Payton from the rotation. Um, but like, you know, maybe against a team that is probably the team that plays some of the biggest lineups in the NBA. Maybe he even tries that odd arrangement and plays an ultra big lineup, uh, considering how well OB spacing the floor and how well Julius Randall can also space the floor. I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I, I think I'd be surprised if he, if he went quite that far just because he showed no interest in it, but mm-hmm. you know, we've seen crazier things. And sometimes, I mean, desperate times call for desperate measures. You're down three, one in a series or something. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you pull that out. Um, I want to get into RJ Barrett's playmaking uh, because I thought that was the other big variable that flashed to me in these last two games of the year. First, Alex, I want to tell everyone about our friends over at prize picks um tonight or you know what i'm gonna i'm actually gonna fast forward i'm gonna say next saturday uh the next time the next play cleveland cavaliers night game espn don't miss it um i am gonna take uh we're just talking about it, so i'm gonna take obi Toppin over 12 and a half points I, I have a feeling julius is not gonna play game one and i think obi's gonna uh put together uh, like maybe maybe the game of his life given given the stakes um i will take uh mitchell robinson over nine and a half rebounds i think he's gonna he's gonna be an absolute beast and I'm going to take Emmanuel quickly uh, over three and a half assists. I think I think it's going to be a good playmaking game for IQ, and he's going to pick his spots, make really good decisions. So how does prize picks work? All you have to do is pick two to six players, and they go score more or less than their prize picks projection. You win up to 25 times your money on any entry. And the beauty of it is you're not competing against other people. Uh, those 
those friends of yours that live in your, their parents' basement and are just running Excel spreadsheets all day. I don't know if you're friends with those people, but if you are, you know who I'm talking about. You don't want to be competing against those people. It's just you versus the projections available. They offer projections in essentially every single sport you could watch, and they can be made in 60 seconds or less. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, well, then PrizePix will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code LOCKDOWN and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. So, Alex, what what really flashed to me um, in these two games beyond OB just, uh, I, I don't know, looking like, like Paul George, essentially, um, was RJ Barrett's passing. The numbers weren't super crazy. He had three assists against the Pacers. He had six against the Pelicans, but... Not only was he unselfish, which he's generally gotten better at um, over these last few games, but he was he was just making some of those next level reads we've seen from him in past seasons, and we've seen from in fits and spurts this season. Like 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 not not just making the next pass, but making those skip passes. Like had one from the right elbow um, in the Pelicans game to the opposite wing to Quentin Grimes for three. Had another one where he got right down the middle of the court, left it off to Jericho Sims for um, a big jam. Um, and an absolute dime to a cutting Evan Fournier. Um, and, and then against the Pacers, I mean, especially late in the game, like back-to-back plays where you got to clear out on Gabe York. And instead of forcing the issue against York, like we've seen him do at times, swung across court to Emmanuel quickly for three, hit Grimes in transition for three. That, that was kind of the key to the Knicks having a chance down the stretch against the Pacers. I know he had some big scoring outings, poor shooting aside, but what, what, what did you see from him as a creator um, in these two games? Yeah, it's, it's mostly just the his willingness to move the ball and not get sucked into tunnel vision, you know, like that's always been one of his, one of his sort of bugaboos as a scorer is like, he'll, he, he just zeroes in and it's almost like you can read his mind, what he's thinking as you're watching him dribble the ball. Like, okay, RJ's backing this guy down. He's going to try a turnaround baby hook or something, or, Okay, RJ is putting his head down around a screen. He's obviously going to go all the way in and try to make a layup here, regardless of if someone helps over or not. That's just his plan. And he seemed to break the script in that way. So maybe those couple games being off. And I mean, you know, a lot of what he's doing is similar to like what like Emmanuel quickly does, for example, like just being patient, getting in there, looking for the right read. I mean, I thought that in the Pacers game, all three of his assists were just gorgeous. I mean, they were like, they're like perfect reads of what you would want in that situation. Like two of them were in transition, but the one was just an amazing look like where he drew the entire defense into him in transition and then whipped it to the corner to quickly who had an open three. And then like the other one, he sort of did that back down move and it was like, Oh, well he's gonna, you know, if this was another game, it would be like, Oh, well he's just about to try some ISO possession right now. But then he swung it to the corner and, and created a three for, I think that one was Grimes. And then, again in transition just like head up not committing to anything before it's time to commit and then saying oh okay all the defenders went in here against me so i'm gonna kick it quickly in the corner like these are just like the things that we see from him periodically so we know he's capable of it but sometimes it seems like he gets so in his own head about needing to get himself scoring that he loses sight of that a little bit um so it's good to see that out of him and and also like I know I think when we were talking pre-show, we sort of have a little bit of different thoughts about this, but I, I've thought from these past two games, like he since coming back from like the stomach bug or whatever it was, or or whatever it was that had him ailing, it seems like he is 
almost taking on more like like with quick he was taking on like some quickly traits as far as distributing but the way that he's playing on offense is almost more reminiscent of like how Grimes plays where he seems a little less focused on like the isolation type possessions and the possessions where he's the one dictating the action and is more like looking for cuts and looking to get himself open off ball and stuff like that. And that's going to be so useful against the Cavs, I feel like, because you're going to want to get them running around. Like there's such a good defense that you're going to need to do things different. Like you can't just attack them from a standstill all day. Like you need to get them moving and you need to get them out of their spots. If you want to find open shots, because they're just such a good defense or the number one defense in the NBA this year. Um, and I think that RJ playing better off ball is going to translate way better to that series than his sometimes usual style of play, which is more to want to dictate the action in like a Randall or Brunson style of play. Um, so, you know, more cuts, more spot up shots, hopefully just make like, if, if he could just avoid going like Oh, for seven from three, like he did the other day, like, cool, that's perfect. Like just hit like two of those. And then you're going to keep the defense honest enough and you're going to score enough from the perimeter to like, totally open things up for you. So I, I hope that he just shoots a million threes between now and Saturday and comes in totally ready to go. Yeah. Someone uh, pointed, uh, apologies for not giving credit, but um, at the Pelicans game, if he goes three for nine from three, instead of zero for nine, he finishes with 37 points on 14 and 25 shootings. So that's, that's an all-time game against a team that was fighting for their playoff lives. So um, we, we like, he, he was spectacular getting to the rim, I thought this was the best he's looked driving the ball in a couple of weeks, like repeatedly victimized CJ McCollum, just bullying him over and over and over again. And look against the Pelicans, like there'll be opportunities for him to go at like a Darius Garland, like every so often. And sure, they have, they have much better help. They have Mobley and Jared Allen waiting at the rim. But look, RJ is capable of having good games. That being said, I don't think he, I think he's going to see less and less minutes as the series goes on. If he doesn't shoot the ball, even if he's passing well, even if he's driving well, because I think this this defense is is too good to only have three shooters on the floor. I think you need four shooters on the court. Um, whether I mean that means playing Grimes more. You better hope Josh Hart is confident um, from three. And 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 to me, that's going to be kind of an interesting like pivot point in this series. Like like do the Cavs treat Josh Hart as like the fifty five percent shooter from distance he's been on the Knicks, or as the thirty percent shooter he was in Portland? Um, I have a feeling it's going to be more like the guy in Portland. And same with RJ. I think he's going to have as many open threes as he wants in this series. And if he starts hitting them, that'll completely change the complexion. But to me, if you if you tell me the Knicks win and, and you ask me to reverse engineer it, I say one of RJ or Josh Hart like shoots threes at a decent volume and shoots them at at least 35, 36%. And, and I think that could that could win the Knicks this series. Yeah, it certainly could. I mean, they, there's, a, there's a lot of things that could win the Knicks this series. And most of them revolve around how many guys can make enough threes to punish the Cavs? Because I don't think you're going to beat that team with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley on the inside by driving it into the paint every time. It's just not going to end well for you because that's sort of their bread and butter. You're going to have to take advantage of guys like Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland on the perimeter that aren't necessarily the best perimeter defenders. And you know, you're going to need to make those open threes that they're going to concede to you. And R.J. Barrett's going to be one of those guys. Grimes going to be one of those guys. Quickly, it's going to be one of those guys. And he's been so consistent lately, but we've seen Quickly be mercurial at times, Grimes be mercurial at times. Everybody's going to need to be hitting on all cylinders when that playoff series hits. Um, we we want to also do like a little 
retrospective of the season to close the show out here and just kind of talk about some of our most surprising or most fun moments, uh, as well as um, getting into a, a little hatred of the Dallas Mavericks. Wait, and, wait Alex, real real quick. Can I just, yeah. before we wrap this up, can I shout yes. out Isaiah Hardenstein? Because oh, the, yeah, dude, yeah. The, the, dude, the dude looked like Magic Johnson this weekend. Um, five assists against the Pelicans and then against the Pacers. Like, honestly, should have had a few more, but finished with five again. And that, that was in, like, a fairly finite amount of minutes, like just had a couple of mind bending passes, like against the Pacers. The one that stood out was, was that one where Obi was back cutting and he was just backing down his guy, then threw it over his head. Also had like, there was a play where there was a loose ball and he just like, it was just great basketball instincts. He just batted it to Quentin Grimes who left it off to Obi. I was like, wow, that, that reminded me of like 12, 13, where you just saw everyone making the extra pass, making that high IQ play over and over again. The single best pass maybe is thrown all season. And that's a high mark. It was, it was Jokic esque. He, he had one where RJ was cutting against the Pelicans and he threw a wraparound um, on Nance. And then RJ was a step ahead of Ingram, but Dyson Daniels was right in front of RJ and he somehow fit it between both of them. And those guys have a combined like 50 foot wingspan. Um, and RJ ended up getting, um, I, I think either fouled or a layup out of it, but man, dude, he, we, we knew he was a good passer. We've seen him get better and better throughout the year, but what he's doing right now, like, I mean, outside of Jokic and maybe like, Sengun in, in Houston, and maybe I'm forgetting someone. Embiid's a really good passer as well, but he like obviously Jokic is a tier of his own, greatest passing center of all time, one of the greatest passing players of all time. But he's in the mix for like out of like the normal humans, like the best passing center in basketball right now. I'm with you, and you know what? If you wanna if you wanna play uh, GM and maybe find yourself your own Isaiah Hartenstein, one of the better passing bigs in the league, you should check out Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. It's the coolest game. I've played in a long time. I've always thought I could be a great NBA GM. And as it turns out, it's not all that easy. If you've had the same thought and have fantasized about managing your own basketball franchise, go and download Ultimate Pro Basketball GM right now. The game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise, playing through seasons and leading your franchise and fans to glory as you build a historic dynasty. In the simulation, you're responsible for dealing with challenging personalities, hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading for and training for players and making draft picks, and navigating your franchise through free agency in the draft and all the ups and downs of multiple seasons. It's all in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free and playable offline. You can play on the go and play as you want and when you want to. I've certainly, I'm a sucker for this sort of game. I, You know, honestly, I even, when I play NBA 2K, I'll play like uh, association mode and I'll just be in there doing all the trades and the, the back office stuff rather than the actual games and just simulating seasons at a time, just doing all the, the contracts and development and everything else. And if you love that, you would definitely love this game. Uh, it, it's, it's very fun and very challenging and very rewarding when you finally crack through and can win a championship. I won like seven in a row, not to brag or anything. Uh, kind of a dynasty. So locked on Knicks listeners, you guys can get a hundred percent free boat free boost to your franchise when using the promo code locked on in the game store. So make sure to check it out to download the game. Just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code or look it up on your favorite app store. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate basketball GM. Start your dynasty today. All right, Gavin, we're back to, Get a little, uh, little, little retrospectivey, you know. Uh, we want to just quickly talk about this season. I think 
obviously the final chapter has not been written yet because the final chapter of this season is the playoffs. But I think if, if the past is any indication, there's going to be some stuff in the playoffs that's going to be super memorable, but we're also going to look back on this season years from now and think back on certain moments and certain feelings and stuff. It's so funny that this season and how good it was and how memorable it's been happened on the 10 year anniversary of the 12, 13 season, which we've both acknowledged like, for us and our fandom was a very uh, like formative season, like very big for like generating like a, a long-term love of a team, it, you know, of a certain Knicks squad after so long of like most of our years, like when we actually gave a crap about the team, you know, they were terrible. And to have that like one year to really cling to now, hopefully this year is more, you know, obviously we just had 20 to 21, two seasons ago too, which was memorable in its own right. And this season was so much fun as well. And hopefully this is more sustainable than that 12-13 team ultimately ended up being. But I find that there are still so many moments and things that I think about from the 12-13 season that all happened like during the regular season. And because of how the playoffs ultimately ended, I find myself wanting to forget a lot of the things from the playoffs other than maybe J.R. Smith's greatest three-point celebration of all time against the Celtics. Um, but Gavin, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Like what's, if, if you were to take a guess, like five, ten years from now, something that you'll remember most about this Knicks regular season before we write the playoff chapter, what do you think it'll be? Man, that's tough. He's like any 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 of Brunson, IQ, or Randall, you, you can make a really compelling case for. But I'm going to say, um, I, I think I think maybe this is bold, not not going Jalen Brunson because he's, he's kind of the obvious answer, but I'm giving, giving myself too much credit here. But um, Emmanuel, quickly, um, I, I think we're going to remember this season as a star turn. I, I think this is a guy who's going to end up making multiple all-star teams. Um, if the Knicks really if don't really bungle it, it's going to be in, in orange and blue. And this is the season. I mean, like maybe we'll, we'll circle back to that Celtics game, which I, I think we both acknowledge one, one of the best Knicks games, one of the best Knicks wins that I have ever seen. And be like, wow, that was that was the time when 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 the one without the one guy, but like the one of those three that the Knicks actually drafted um, came out and emerged as a star. And you can go back to like the first nine, ten games of this season. We were like, all right, I guess like Emmanuel quickly just sort of is what he is. Right. Which is like streaky score off the bench, much improved defender, solid playmaker. But after an offseason where, where we both. Uh, hyped him up. Um, I know me, me and Dallas came on, had him as like our number one guy um, in terms of like the, the Knicks best young players, but I, I lost confidence at points. Like I, I moved him down to number four on that list because I, I just didn't see the progress. And then I mean, last few weeks and months, he has absolutely exploded. Someone who will somehow some way be in the conversation for a max contract or max extension this summer. Um, I think he ends up getting a little bit less than that, but um, I, I think he might prove to be like, uh, right, right there with Brunson, the longest term piece that the Knicks currently have and, and just a staple for hopefully in a, a decade to come. Yeah, I certainly don't want anyone to go back and listen to any earlier this season episodes like the one in particular when I was like, man, should the Knicks like if they can get like a first round pick for Emmanuel quickly, should they just like do it? Because <laughs> otherwise they're going to have to pay him soon uh it's certainly you know we say yeah I, I already i went back and deleted that one don't worry about oh, it. oh good okay yeah. good good yeah glad you got my back there but like yeah i mean you know it's it's the nature of this is essentially sports talk radio that we do every single day and it's like what else are you going to talk about every single day but i i definitely agree with you his his turn this year has been really something to behold 
I think for me, what I will think back on is Julius Randle. And it's so funny because he's sort of been at the center of both of the Knicks' most recent great seasons. And the narrative is almost almost exactly the same both times, where it's like the first time he came in and uh, you know he had a pretty subpar first season, but the Knicks as a whole had kind of a subpar first season when he was here. And you know they, there wasn't really any expectations, and they actually did finish quite well under Mike Miller. So there was something to build off of there. But then he just comes in and completely kills it the the 20 to 21 season you know it makes second team all nba and then last year it just completely like loses all of what made him so great the the year prior like he just mostly it's just like he didn't look like he was having fun anymore he looked totally checked out there were so many moments where you were just like like what is even going on here like do you even like like playing here, playing basketball, playing with your teammates, like every single moment just seemed miserable for him on the court. And he kind of said as much, you know, in certain interviews this year. And and then this year comes in and doesn't just fix his attitude and find more peace for himself, but also completely redesigns his game in like the most analytically friendly way possible. And like completely revolutionized himself and the whole team in the process, like becoming more of a floor spacer, abandoning the thing that was his bread and butter two years prior. And that didn't work out as well last year with the mid range game, uh, not totally abandoning it. Like obviously he could still make a mid range shot, but he's not reliant on it. Now it's like his only source of offense and committing to playing more physical, to playing more above the rim, like putting his body more at risk every single day. And yet still up until the ankle sprain so late in the season had played every single game up until, I don't know what, what was it? The 76 game or something. Um, I mean, just crazy, crazy endurance from him, you know, to play the amount of minutes and everything else. And I don't know. I'll just look back on the season and be like, you know, you and I both advocated if we want to talk about stuff that we're like now, like, wow, that was stupid. Like we both advocated for like trade him for pennies on the dollar this past offseason, like just get him off the team because it just, you know, if he was going to be like he was last season, like there's no point in keeping him anymore. Like you're trying to turn a corner and that sort of energy is not part of that. But like credit to him, like, he turned himself around to match the team turning around and the team followed him. And, you know, obviously getting Jalen Brunson helps a ton. Having Emmanuel quickly take a leap helps a ton. Having a bunch of obviously great guys that this team has drafted, like Mitchell Robinson and Quentin Grimes and Deuce McBride even, and RJ Barrett, like, you know, step up at various points helps as well. But, you know, Randall really was, even for as great as Brunson was, Randall ultimately because of that longevity and the, the uh, durability that he showed and just the overall scoring presence and defense and even like leadership, you know, like it seemed like his play is the players on the team really seemed to respect him and rally around him at many times this year as well. I mean, all that ultimately made the Knicks who they were this year. And I think he was kind of their engine and in many ways, their heart and soul. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, th- and I guess um, like, I mean, maybe bearing the lead here, but, but what Jalen Brunson has mm-hmm. done this year was like, I, I don't know. I think his production, like the the extent of it, I, I didn't think he'd be this good, but I thought he would be like 90% this good, 85% this good, but it's more so just the sheer guttiness, um, like his, his technical ability, his skill level, however you want to frame it is just so outstanding and, and so incredibly special. And as someone who just, who just hadn't seen a lot of him before he came to the Knicks, like, 
I, I didn't really understand the depth of it. And then you combine that with someone who clearly is like just a beloved teammate. And I mean, you hear Luka Doncic talking about in press conferences, like day in and day out. I mean, how much, like not just as a player, but as a person, like he, he misses Jalen Brunson. Like this was, this was a coup for the Knicks. Like he, he um, is, is, he altered the trajectory of this franchise and, and all these pieces and all, all these things that are positive. And e- even if the Knicks didn't get Jalen Brunson, Alex, I think in some ways this, this might've been a really positive season for them. Like just like Randall bouncing back to some extent, um, quickly emerging Grimes, maybe even earlier, if they didn't have Jalen Brunson, like making a turn where you're like, all right, is this another dude who's going to get 22 to $24 million a year is, is an absolutely elite three and D guy. But Brunson is the one who, who makes it all, work like you you need his star power you need his ability to just go and get a bucket and, and that that elevates this team to a level of maybe not legitimate contention but a spot where all of a sudden we're talking about like I mean this this was a great point by Fred Katz the athletic like like the biggest shift for the Knicks in the simplest terms is they went from a team that needed two stars to be a real contender to now if it's the right guy seemingly just needs one star to be a contender and that is Way more progress than I thought was plausible this year. And, and then um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk about this, but we were also ready to fire Tom Thibodeau at the start of this year. And he, um, like, we, I have my issues still. I, I, I noted one right at the beginning of this podcast, but by and large, he, he's been great this season. Yeah, I mean, you got to give him props. I mean, it, 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 he he kept this team motivated, and that was another thing. You know, as much as Julius Randle was misbehaving last year, it seemed like the team had sort of checked out on Tibbs at times last year as well, which is part of why we said like multiple times last year, like just move on at this point. Like the team, obviously like that Tibbs had his moment and now it seems like the team has kind of moved on and is ready to, to, you know, be out from under his thumb at this point. And yet came back this year and they were all like, everybody bought in Tibbs did adjust himself to his credit. Like he, he implemented a more modern offense. He's, you know, it took him a while, but he's finally started embracing stuff like having Hartenstein play a different way than Mitch does. And, you know, like having the nine man rotation versus the 10 man rotation made all the difference in the world as far as him being willing to experiment with different groupings of players and not do his hockey shift thing. Yes. Does he still play guys too many minutes, some nights and whatever? Sure. Do the players seem to care? No. So, Ultimately, you know, if he's unlocking something in them where they find that new spurt of energy just because they're so motivated to play for him and and play for their teammates and everything else, then that's what a coach is supposed to do. And he certainly seems to have that out of his guys. Um, You know, he managed to turn this team with that extra help, with finally getting like the point guard of his dreams with the way that he plays in Jalen Brunson, managed to turn the Knicks into a top five offense this year by net rating which I, I don't think – or by offensive rating, I should say, which I don't think anyone would have thought in their wildest dreams. You know, granted, they slipped a little bit on the defensive end, but, like, the Knicks is a top-five offense, especially not being one of the elite three-point shooting teams in the league is pretty absurd, and he definitely deserves credit for that as well. Um, so, yeah, Tibbs, Tibbs definitely deserves his flowers. You know who doesn't, though, Gavin? Yeah. Wait, wait, Alex, real quick. Yes. Just, just one, one final note on that. The Knicks uh, finished this year with uh, the fourth highest offensive rating in the history of the NBA. Crazy. Did not see that coming at the yeah. start of the season. Yeah. I, I know I know it's skewed. I know basketball is different now. Three of the top four teams of this year, I get it, but that's, the, that's just a that's crazy pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, my rant that I was about to start. Mark Cuban yeah. deserves no praise 
neither do the Mavericks. Actually, I don't think this has to even be that long, but last thing, last <laughs> thing yeah, that'll maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah, thing that'll maybe be like a stain on this season is how the Mavs blatantly tanked. I think it's hilarious that the league is investigating them. I doubt that it's gonna turn into anything. I think it would be kind of hilariously poetic though if they got a second round pick taken away from them, like they got taken away from the Knicks for pampering with Jalen Brunson, which is to say offering him more money for less mm. time. Uh, what a crime that is to offer a guy $5 million a year more and then be surprised that he doesn't want to play for a discount for your team. Um, anyway, but yeah, the uh, overall tankiness of the Mavericks was disgusting and I hate them. Uh, and I hope that some team jumps them into the top four and the Mavericks lose their pick anyway in the next draft, a future Hall of Famer at pick 11. That's my my greatest wish for the rest of this year. Other than maybe the Knicks make, Knicks make the second round, that's wish one. Mavericks get jumped in the lottery, that's wish two. Both things might happen like literally almost on the same day, which would be awesome. So that would be pretty sick. So that's that's my wish for the rest of the season. That will make this season – that would be the cherry on top if some team jumps the Mavericks and and pushes them out of the top ten and makes them lose their pick in a really stacked draft when they blatantly tank for it. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how that all goes. But, yeah, the Mavericks, they suck. I hate them. If, if, if we're calling it a wish, I, I want the protections removed. <laughs> Mavs jump up to number one. Knicks get Wembenyama. Can you imagine? And, and they, imagine add, they, add him, they add him to their championship core after they uh, defeat the Phoenix Suns in seven games. In the Can final. you imagine how unprecedented that would be <laughs> if the NBA was like, well, you guys tried to game the system, so we're taking your top 10 protection off that pick now, and they just lose the pick entirely. That would be yeah, crazy. You'd, you'd see Mark Cuban on Shark Tank just, just twitching and be like, Knicks! Knicks! <laughs> Um, on that happy note, uh, we'll, we'll wrap this one up. Uh, your New York Knicks, the next time we'll be doing a game recap, it will be in the playoffs, game number one against the Cleveland Cavaliers. But before that, uh, we will have you covered um, with a whole lot of really good stuff. Um, tomorrow, we are having on uh, Jackson Frank, um, a writer at a whole bunch of places, including Dime Up Rocks, where he wrote a profile piece on Quentin Grimes. So I'm really excited to do that interview. And then the next day, we're going all in with the guys over at Locked on Cavs, a deep dive preview of um, the entire series. Uh, stay tuned for that. So much more throughout the week here on Locked on Cavs.